Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Hey there, everyone. <laughs> How's it going? Great. I, I There's a lot of things swirling around, and man, I am so thankful for the feedback. Again, every week at worship or emails, people are giving us some feedback as to what's working on this podcast, what's not, and I'm just thankful for you guys and continuing to show up and explore different topics. Yeah, what's Same. not working? Just yeah, so someone I, no tell us what's not working. Yeah. But thanks for listening, you guys. Honestly, it's yeah, great. it's a lot of fun. So... No, that was a genuine question. No, I'm I'm being serious. What too. are we doing that's not working? Or do you just have suggestions on on topics? No. I, yeah, no. I, th- what people are saying, they're telling. I'm sorry, did I misspeak? They're no, saying, you just thought maybe I don't know. There, no one is telling me stuff that's not do working. People not like me. No, people are saying that it. They they like what we're doing. <laughs> they like. No, people don't like As you. If you care. But you know. <laughs> As if no. you care, yeah. Robot. <laughs> No, I, I'm really enjoying the dynamic and the different perspectives. And I think other people are too. And so I appreciate it's all good feedback, but I, yeah, we would welcome things that aren't working. I do think one of the things that, that we have talked about is, you know, still, I don't know if we always comment on the other side and accurately always understand where other people are coming from. Mm. It's so hard for me to not have confirmation bias that this is what a Christian thinks and this is what my worldview and why wouldn't you everyone believe this? So I need to learn more about how do other people come to those conclusions. So that was one really constructive criticism that we got that I think we can keep working on. Good. So, yeah. Great. So Annie, what is on your mind? You, you got the yeah, first topic up. Cool. So uh the other day I was just looking at some headlines and um it sounds like Nancy Pelosi um, who is our speaker of the house, right? I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she was recently banned by the Archbishop Salvador Cordelion for taking communion because she's pro-choice. Mm-hmm. So not allowed to take, she's a Catholic. She's not allowed to take Catholic communion because she is pro-choice. And um, she's her her point is she's wondering why Catholics who support the death penalty are not also being banned from taking communion. Um, just a few questions. Like, is there any evidentiary support from the Bible that should, that says if, you know, in so many words, if you're pro-choice, you may not take communion. Cause I guess for me, I feel like if you're sinning, you should take communion. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a good, those are good questions. Um, so I think, uh, obviously everything kind of gets lost in the headlines where, where this is now a political issue. Right. But right. Uh, I do think it's interesting that she says, you know, kind of, she's not really answering the question. She's saying, well, yeah, this might be wrong, but what about this? So she's kind well, of dodging. What aboutism? Yeah, yeah, those, are, those not, are great. Not, not really answering the question. But there is two different things that are going on. Um, the Bible does say in Romans 13 and really throughout the Bible um, that the government has the sword uh, for our good. Now, what does that 
you know, sanctioning, you know, if the government decides uh, to use lethal force to for um, it, it says way back in Genesis nine, actually, that that um, we should not take human blood because uh, humans are made in the image of God and whoever sheds human blood by humans will their blood be shed. That's kind of a poetic thing that that happens after a poetic phrase command that kind of puts the value on human life. And so the death penalty, um, we could talk about if it's, you know, actually um, works in deterring more violence. Uh, how many times does maybe the death penalty get it wrong where, where, you know, people have been falsely accused? That's a whole nother subject. But there is a biblical reason for the death penalty um, that human life is so precious um, that if you take someone else's life, uh, it's not my job as a vigilante to go and take somebody else's life in revenge, but the government is there as a, um, is really a chosen by God to really protect human life, and 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 they they have the right to take life um, if they if they so choose in their laws. Now, we talked a lot about Ro, Roe v. Wade and and abortion issue. Um, that that's very different. You know, mm-hmm. that's a death penalty is very different than 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 abortion. And um, if somebody is living in an unrepentant sin, yeah, they shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is for anybody who repents, anybody who says, you know what, I've gone the wrong way. This is I'm living in the uh, sinful life. I'm I've done this wrong, and I want to receive forgiveness. But there doesn't seem to be any repentance. In fact, she's doubling down and saying, yeah, maybe this might be wrong, but you know what? Um, something else is wrong. So I can see why why they would try to... Now, is it for care for her soul? Is this a political statement? Uh, is the is this archbishop really uh, concerned about the state of Nancy Pelosi's well, heart? That's the thing, because I, th- I mean, I think he's he himself is very conservative. Okay. And so, you know, you have to wonder at what point does his own... Sure. You know, uh, do his own values and beliefs kind of influence, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know if he's banned other mm-hmm. pro-choice mm-hmm. people yeah. uh, in the Catholic Church. I'm sure there are multiple. There, I'm sure there's, right. you know, so many. Um, and I think, you know, and I think just because you're pro-choice doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi's not running around going, I want babies dead, mm-hmm. you know, so there. I think she's probably more caught up in the political side sure. of things. And so I don't know that um, she should be banned from taking communion for that. Yeah, I think the, the Catholic Church in general, um, if you read their catechism, it's a really thick book and has lots of not just what does the Bible say, but what does the, the Church teach on all these different things when it comes to birth control and all a number of number of different things, and some people find that very helpful. Like, tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'm gonna and I'll do that. Uh, but if, um, but then if you have all these rules, and then you also have to kind of monitor them, right? I guess if I'm if I'm Nancy Pelosi's pastor. <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, I, I do think I'd be concerned. It's really hard. And I mean, there's so much power. There's so much 
uh, media coverage. There's, there's so much involved. But if I'm her pastor, I would be concerned if she would be promoting and really uh, looking to, to promote legislation to make it easier t- for people to have abortions. Now, uh, how long has this archbishop talked to her? How much, how much has he uh, really tried to minister to her and talk to her about these things? How, how, you know, does he actually know her very well? I, I don't know any of those well, so I, I, you know, there's a pastoral side of this. I bet there are people in our congregation who are pro-choice. Should, are we, are, you know, right. I'm just and asking. I'm yeah, just, you know. I, I do think, you, you know, if you're, if you're trying to, um, I think that is, that is really the hard thing about being a pastor right now is we don't always know our people and, and how can we help people, um, have a biblical perspective of, um, of everything. And, and if there is a sin in our life or sin in my life that we repent of it, we change, uh, we live a new life and we're not going to, you know, support, you know, like we said in the last thing, there's all sorts of reasons why people would, would come to that conclusion. Um, but it is taking a life it's taking mm-hmm. a child's life. And so, uh, if you are, I don't know how, I don't know how you can call yourself really. I'm a Bible believing, Jesus following Christian, and yet I still think it's okay to take a life. I I don't know how you can put those two together. So maybe there are, uh, there, there's probably people who have all sorts of other things that they they believe or or haven't been public about. It once it does become public, though, I th- I would hope as a pastor that I would uh, meet with the person, encourage them, walk with them. Um, and over a process of time, you know, if you do get to a point where they say, yeah, that maybe is what the Bible said, but I don't care, then yeah, maybe you do have to go through some steps of saying, well, I'm really, con- I'm so concerned, I don't want to give you the impression that that you're really a follower of Jesus, and yet you have no concern for his word. So yeah, it, it's hard when it's all po- politicized, it is, right. and, and, it's, and it's out there, but oh man, um, I don't think that's a good argument. Um, so that, you know, I can believe this, but, but is there a double standard with the death penalty? Well, the death penalty is a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whether you think it's a good idea or not, there is biblical, um, verses that do talk about the government having that role. Uh, you know, and that's why we, well, even soldiers who are in war, they're, they're fighting in the name of the government and we wouldn't call what they do fighting in war murder. They might have to kill somebody. Uh, but we wouldn't call that murder and the same thing when it comes to death penalty. So I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I'm doing a lot of talking. So the difference here is that the Catholic Church as a whole condemns the death penalty. Is that correct? I think that is a new, like, kind of uh, uh, a a new church tradition teaching uh, that, that, I don't know if it was the Pope or the Archbishop, they've they've condemned the death penalty. And, And that's kind of what can happen is that what the Pope decrees um, is on the same level as Scripture. I think I think that's the difference then, um, because because um, the uh, being pro-choice and and being pro-death penalty um, are 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 on the same level because the Church condemns both of them, mm-hmm. not necessarily um, in regards to what Scripture says about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's her point, right? Yeah, the inconsistency in the church and the institution, right? right. right. And and that that that's true. 
that there's inconsistency. You've made this decree. Why wouldn't you make this other decree? Um, so I think that, again, that that's kind of the trouble you get when you try to legalize or or put down very firm, detailed laws that you can't really have, you don't really have scripture to back up. So, and that's what legalism is. Legalism is when you, you make laws that you can't clearly see in scripture. So, yeah. Any, any other thoughts? So I, as a pastor, I, I would want to hopefully pass, you know, counsel, lead, talk to, encourage, have lots of patience that, that, Withholding communion or practicing really what that's practicing excommunication um, is is kind of the last straw. Now, during the time of the Reformation, that you know, five hundred years ago, that was really used as a power play. You know, certain kings couldn't have the Lord's Supper, or or these different groups couldn't have the Lord's Supper, and it was used more of a control thing, not necessarily uh, a pastoral. I'm concerned about their soul thing, uh, and that well, might be what's going on. That's kind of that. Well, at least that's the way the article was presented. Right. You know, yeah. so like you know, you got this archbishop who's super conservative. Um, you know, Pelosi is super liberal. Mm-hmm. So you know, you kind of you wonder, you know, and that that's kind of how the article was presented, as though it was you yeah. know punitive or it does kind of seem like what it is though. I mean, yeah, I. Yeah, Martin Luther wrote a whole treatise on the Babylonian captivity of the church and talking about how the 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 really the yeah, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago was using the sacraments as these kind of power plays yeah. and yeah. and only the priests could uh or, you know, institute the mass and so then they have this power so um yeah, but pastorally, you know, if somebody is strained and living open committed unrepentant sin uh you know go, living a life going against scripture i would hope that that i would have the the courage and the concern to say hey what's going on how'd you get here what are you thinking about this uh and and how does this play into your faith so well and i like that answer and i and i wish that i wish that answers like those were more uh in the forefront of the media because when you look at something like this and you know i'm sure a whole ton of people have seen this article and this mm-hmm. headline as somebody who is maybe not a Christian. I would look at this and say, boy, there they go again. You know, right. you know, Oh, the conservative Christian group, there right. they go. You know? And so I think it, it looks bad yep. if you don't have that perspective of yep. like, no, I would, I would hope that we could have a relationship with, you know, yep. right. Na- in this case, Nancy Pelosi and, right. and as a pastor work with her and talk with her and try to sort this out. Yeah. And figure it out. So I, I wish that answers like those yeah. were more public and yeah. more on the forefront than, you know. Mm-hmm. How how was the how was the message delivered? Like, did the archbishop? I'm, I'm assuming the archbishop didn't just shoot her an email, but probably like went. Who up knows? That's on a, a great question. Platform. Who yeah. knows? Because that seems like something that could have been handled Text with an email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there a in-person visit? Was there was there a concern? Was there a, mm-hmm. let's talk about this? How right. did you get there? And yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge I have, and and maybe you know having a church in the suburbs just and we're so spread out is really getting to know our people. How do you how do you really help? 
hopefully, I mean, through things like this, the, the podcasts and other different tools, people feel like they have access to their pastor. But man, we need pastors and elders and leaders and Christian friends who are who are in our lives to help us when we stray, because we're all going to struggle. We're all going to stray. And the problem is, yeah, we can we can justify our sin so easily if we don't have somebody saying, like, oh, maybe you need to think about this a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. Are you really living out of out of the life of, of Scripture? And so, yeah. So I, I don't know if there's a clear answer, but you're right. I, you know, that's another perspective. Uh, what what how does is this perceived? You know, people who are maybe already anti-institution. Right. He said, "Oh, here's another institution wielding their power of the conservative, yeah. of the Catholic." Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's right. That's all I got on that. That's good. Uh, all right. Should we move on to the next topic? Sure. Sure. So, um, I'll be giving a keynote at a at a teachers conference in the next couple of weeks, and so I'm really thinking about this. The whole conference is on mental health and anxiety. So, and I asked the the principal who's kind of leading the conference, you know, why do you want me to talk on this? What is going on? And, you know, they just talked about an incredible rise of anxiety in their students, uh, amongst the teachers even. Um, and they're, they're wondering what scripture has to say about it. They're wondering, uh, you know, how do we look at things? There's going to be um, also a, a a psychologist, a clinical counselor, she's going to be giving a keynote right after mine too. So I'm looking forward to talking to her about it. So I just wanted to use this opportunity to kind of maybe discuss anxiety in schools among teachers, among students, and get your perspective so I can learn from you guys. So I have something to say in a couple of weeks. So yeah. Should we try to define anxiety? I mean, is there a clear definition of this? I think that's, that's really interesting because sometimes, you know, it's just normal nerves, right? Where right. Where that, do we draw the line between? I, I know there was a one 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 counselor who's, who wanted to work with with uh, some students, and she was thinking about naming the naming the talk. Maybe you're just normal. So mm-hmm. sometimes, where mm-hmm. you know we get anxious about our anxiety, and maybe something like a normal amount of of uh, you know challenge, uh, you know, all of a sudden we blow into uh, this is. And anxiety, but then there's other times, and I've had this too, where you just you you have a literal panic attack, where you you have like you know clinical anxiety, you you can't control how your body is responding to a. So I um that's a good question. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we can find a clear definition of anxiety. Yeah, what does Google say? All right, let's listen. Let's see what what Google has to say, because I I'm not totally clear. I do think it's normal and healthy at times. So a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent uh, event or something with an uncertain outcome. Okay, that ha- I mean, I get anxious before shows sometimes. I get, an- you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like we're. I don't we're, think that's the same thing, though. We're, and I guess that's the that, and then. But by um, definition, when 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 Christian Family Solutions was here, yeah, for our our emotions yeah. sermon series, um, she she told us that. Anxiety, anxiety is actually an action. It's not an emotion. Anxiety is not a feeling. In, like you, fear is like the feeling. Okay. Okay. Anxiety is you feeding your thoughts and actions into that fear. Ah. Now you're creating. You you create anxiety. Aha. Okay. Okay. And then if you look at like having an anxiety disorder, uh, it says a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. So, you know, it's a spectrum, it seems like, you know, where you have 
Yeah, that maybe a feeling of concern, but then you feed into that the action of helplessness, um, worry about the future, uh, a concern of what could happen. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that what's happened in my life is like, all right, something's happened in the past that I didn't like. Then you get the same trigger and your body starts already going into that, you know, fight or flight, but then it, it, it never stops. It never, it never just goes away. Uh, and so I, I think that's happening to yeah students and teachers where maybe something happened at home, uh, something or some, some event happened before and now something similar is happening. I'm triggered again and I'm having this kind of really panic, uh, and this, this, uh, yeah. Un, unwanted feeling. So, yeah. So, I mean, the Bible does use the word anxiety um, and, and does talk about it. So I'm, but, but I, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't mind hearing more from you guys. I mean, why do you think this is such a concern for students? Uh, you know, and you got some stu- kids, my, our, our kids age also. Uh, and, you know, I, so I think our, it is part of the culture amongst kids. You hear about it more that kids are, are struggling with anxiety. Um, I think teachers also, um, you know, don't really know what, what do I do about this? When is it beyond what I can deal with as a teacher? Why does it increase so much? Uh, the book that I keep on going back to, uh, uh, iGen by Jennifer Tweech, I think I've talked about on this podcast, but in 2010, there was a huge spike in anxiety and depression, right? When um, social media and iPhones kind of became ubiquitous in culture that everybody seemed to have one. Uh, there was a huge spike among young people. So there's there's also environmental things that we're doing to ourselves where we're, we're you know, concerned about what other people think of me. You know, you, you kind of catastrophize things where you think about all the things that people could potentially be talking about, you know, that kind of um, mind reading, you're reading everybody's mind about what they think when they saw that post or they, they never responded to, they never liked what you did. Uh, No one's actually, uh, you know, so I think those are all environmental factors. So anything else that you guys want to say on that before I look at some of the sections of scripture, talk about it. This is weird to me because I, I really, I don't, I feel like I, this is not something that I feel like I struggle with. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, me neither. Just once every so often, like I feel like I'm genuinely anxious. Otherwise, I'm just OCD. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, is that not a um, yeah <laughs> part of I, it? I think it's the, you know the what it is is that that panic where you you have and a lot of times you can feel it physically like. Uh, you know, tightness in your chest. I've had that before where you get really nervous and you can't control um, how you feel. You, you get short of breath. Um, you kind of black out. You, you, you can't really um, pay attention to what you're doing. Um, and some of the anxiety is, is okay in the sense of it. Anxiety um, sharpens your focus. Like if you're if you have that kind of heightened awareness, it it you know, it it pumps the the cortisol levels up. It it kind of focus if you're if you're in a match or of you know whatever it is in a sport, you know you kind of want a little of that and use that. You know you want a little bit of nerves when you're when you're singing, mm-hmm. and it kind of kind of heightens it. But when it becomes 
uncontrollable where yeah you can't function that's when it be you know that's when it's a problem when it keeps you from doing the things that you want to actually accomplish yeah i don't i don't i won't i don't think what i have is ever like panic but i just have where you don't really you're you don't really sleep very well you're not fully awake mm-hmm. you're not really asleep you don't have any appetite you don't want to drink any water mm-hmm. you're just sort of like jittery mm-hmm and that to me is like anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that happens to me a couple times a year, maybe not often. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, but I know people who almost live in a constant state of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like never hungry. They're, I mean, they're, they're definitely not overweight at all. Mm-hmm. And they're, they just like don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. And they like, and it's just like, I'm just like, how are you, how are you still awake? Like, it seems like you never sleep. And they're just like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I get up at, I always wake up early. I can't help it. I, it's like, but you were up to like three all week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I kind of, that's just how I always am. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. I was say, I'd be curious to see, I would be curious what, if there's a correlation between, um, the most anxious types of people mm-hmm. and like what their strengths are, mm-hmm. you know, because I think some people who I just feel like there are some uh, characteristics of people that might lend themselves more to anxiety than, sure. you know, than others. Yeah. Like, like I said, for me, I, I don't think I struggle with it. And yeah. I just wonder if it's because I'm not like a very deep thinker and I don't, you know, I don't, consider all of the things that you know and whereas mm-hmm. i think somebody who who might be a deep thinker is True. thinking about all these things and things are running through the head so maybe they're more have more yeah. of a disposition to anxiety sure. i don't know I'd yeah be i think there's the correlation i think there is like yeah environmental factors so you know if you've you've had any kind of abuse in your life or 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 you know yeah some of these things that if you are consuming a tons tons of media on your phone or social media and you have some of these things that might you're concerned about what people think about you but then also, yeah, temperament, you know, maybe if you have like, you're just, some people are high capacity and they, they do, they're so used to being in control of so many different things. And then all of a sudden you start losing some of that control and how does that, how does that feel? Um, and, and so I, yeah, I think some of the most creative and, and, and high capacity leaders, I think also can easily struggle with this as well. So I think there is some, yeah, some temperament gifts that, 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 that are part of it. Um, does seem to be predominantly women i think i don't know really? if that's true I, in my experience yes okay yeah maybe a deep feeling for a concern of uh yeah i don't know i don't know if that's true or not but may- maybe um i do so what i don't want to do in this talk is just say just pray harder right <laughs> I, I you know like uh you, you don't you don't have enough faith um you know jesus does say do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear, you know, God will take care of you. And you don't, and that's part of a large, much larger sermon that he preaches on. He doesn't just throw that out there. Um, and so we have to be careful. I don't want to just say, you know, pray harder. Um, I'm preaching on Elijah this week on him kind of having his own mental breakdown when he had this great big competition with the uh, prophets of Baal. He won, uh, overcame them with God came down with fire and 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 then Queen Jezebel 
found out about it instead of like changing her mind like oh wow god won this is for real she doubled down and put a um threat threatened to kill him and he ran away and was totally in despair and anxious and uh, and just wanted to give up on life and what's interesting is the first thing that the angel of the lord does which many people think it's a pre-incarnate jesus and this is in first kings chapter 19 is he gives him a meal he gives him a meal gives him something to drink and he sleeps and i think that's probably what people need first of all if they're in an anxious situation i heard this this last week when i was at this conference if somebody is in um you know having a panic attack or or really in a, a deeply depressed or just having mental uh you know unwanted feelings stabilize and normalize meet their physical yeah kinda. yeah they they eat sleep move just kind of uh, get stronger, uh, you know, stabilize, get the person to stabilize because they're they're not in control of, of their, their body at that time, their emotions, their thinking. It's not time to give them a sermon. Um, but then afterwards, uh, after 40 days of that kind of recruit, recuperating physically, then God meets with, with Elijah up on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same place that God met with, um, with Moses. And God tells him, I'm still here. It's a beautiful story. I'm still with you. I still have a plan. Everything's going to be okay. Your life still has purpose. And so I guess that's something that I'm thinking about is if somebody is in a crisis mode, how can teachers, how can all of us, we can help stabilize and normalize, help people um, get a little bit more control of how they feel physically, uh, just get back to the basics of, do you need a good meal? Do you need a good night's right, sleep? Right. Do you need a little exercise? Uh, do you need a little time outside? You know, some self-care. And then hopefully we can also point them to some truths of scripture that, that, to kind of get to the root of why are you so anxious? What are you really concerned about? What is really kind of the overwhelming thoughts that keep going through your, your mind? And one of the methods to do that is you, it's called IVA. You identify, identify with the feeling you have. I'm, I'm anxious right now. I'm really worried validate it. Okay. There's a reason I feel that way. This last time this thing happened, it didn't turn out the way I wanted. I'm afraid it's going to happen again. Validate it. And then align it. IVA. Align it with scripture. What does the Bible actually say about your situation? You know, and, and to be able to find out, find scripture that talks about, talks about it. So I think that's one way to, to help people. My favorite book of the Bible on mental health is Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I'm just going to read this, and I would be interested in what you guys think, how this might help somebody if they're in an anxious situation after you, again, took care of them physically and uh, you know emotionally, then this idea of spiritually. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation— by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so I think there are just so many good things in there. He says, don't be anxious about anything. That sounds kind of crude to somebody who's feeling really anxious, right? right? But then he says, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
Thanksgiving, I think, is one of those things that can, uh, it's the emotion that kind of can tsunami all the other unwanted emotions. If you're thankful, it's hard to be anxious. It's hard to be worried. It's hard to be depressed if you're thankful. So finding things that you're thankful for and then to present those requests to God about the things you are concerned about and then let God's peace transcend all those things. So I just feel like that's a, an incredible verse. And then, and then whatever's good and noble, praiseworthy, think about such things. So what do you guys and, think? Well, and some people I think would, um, I've heard, you know, phrases from non-Christians, like just put it out into the universe, okay. right? You sure. know, and that's, that's in essence praying, you know, like we're putting it out to our God, our universe, you know, yeah. but like they're putting, you know, their requests out to the universe yeah. and hoping that the universe does its thing and then they get yeah. know, they're granted. That's interesting. I always find that fascinating, you know, like you've just changed your God, right? You mm-hmm. think that the universe cares, this inanimate, whatever this is that cares and is going to respond, but there is a good feeling of it's not all on me. There's right? something bigger right. than me mm-hmm. and it's, and, uh, and that actually works kind of soothe that anxious feeling. The good news is, is you're not just throwing it out to the universe. There is a God on the other side of the line who is working all things out for our eternal good. So it's almost like a reprogramming, like in your mind, you know, like to ponder and think about the good things and the, mm-hmm. and the gratitude. It's, it's a rewiring of your brain, I yeah. think. Yeah. I think the other thing that's so fascinating about the story of Elijah, and I really, I've never heard this before, but studying the text this last week, God says, go up on the mountain. I'm going to, I'm going to come and show myself to you. And a hurricane passes. He says, but God wasn't in the hurricane. And then earthquake happens and splits the rocks, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire comes and God was not in the fire. And so you expect God to show up in these incredible, powerful ways. And then it says, most translations say uh, a gentle whisper, but really it's a I saw one translation, it was a, a voice of silence, or it was it was a, a moment of silence, basically, and God was in the silence. And I, and I thought about that a lot, that that's what we need to remember when we're anxious or depressed. We feel like we're all alone, we're all on our own, it's not going to work out. And yet God's in the silence. If he, Even if he's not making himself known in big and grand ways and rescuing us from all of our problems in that moment, he still is there in the silence uh, when we can't hear him or see him. And that's just been such a beautiful idea for me when I think about this. Hopefully that can, that can be helpful for people when they're really struggling. Um, I think one thing that's super helpful for me is try to try to spread every element of your life around a little bit. Um, because I think a what lot. What do you mean by that? Yeah. I think the root of a lot of anxiety is that you put a lot of pressure on one thing, on one decision, on one relationship with a, another person, um, with one career, whatever it is. Don't hang out with just one group of people. Diversify Diver- your portfolio. <laughs> right. Your life portfolio. Yes. But don't don't spend all your time at work. Don't spend all your time at home. Don't Balance. spend all your time on one hobby. Mm-hmm. You have to spread out because if one of those things starts shaking, you have all of the other things to keep you oriented mm-hmm. so you know maybe where you need to pick up the slack or you, you have a sense of what would be healthier and more balanced for you. That's a good point. That's really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the good thing about what whatever this, you know, that fight or flight system that we have that, that can feel like anxiety is that it does kind of zero you in on something. 
like you said, that kind of can be a bad thing because you're zeroing in on one thing. And usually what we zero in on is ourself and our problems. And it's and and so find a way to get outside of ourself and outside of focusing on our problems. And I know that's that's usually where my uh, yeah, where you kind of start spinning is when there's just a complete focus on ourselves and a complete focus on our own problems. And, you know, so I think, yeah, diversify. That's a good, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. Anything else that you guys can help me out with so I don't screw this up and actually help some people? Maybe not even just focusing on problems, on successes too. Anything mm-hmm. that's too... Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I think all the success like that gets projected around you makes you more anxious. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think another good way I thought of was uh, just when you when you get too focused in on your problem, um, the best way to forget about it is to help somebody else with their problem. Mm-hmm. 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 And if you do that, it it takes all the pressure off of you. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about mindfulness right now. And this idea that you kind of fuse with one, fuse with one thing. And Martin Luther, I, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, you know, he had that phrase it was mostly about temptation, but he said, you know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And I think that has a lot to do with these thoughts too. You have a thought that comes in your head, this is going to be really bad, or nobody likes me, or I'm going to screw this all up. And we fuse with that thought, we let it just nest in our hair we just live in that and if you can find a way to detach from it whether that's through service or you know having a wider perspective stepping back whatever it is so you don't just zone in on that one thing and fuse with it i think that can be that's that's another important thing have you ever had it where you've had i mean i've had this happen where i've had like a thought like that pop in and then like i know that this is not coming from a place it should be coming from and it's gone now like i'm not dealing with it like is I mean not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> I've said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, I, I guess that's right. that's my simple strategy for. I mean, if I recognize something that's, and I, I'm sure I don't always recognize it, but then I'm like, this is not good. This has to go away. You know. I mean, I, I, one of the most powerful stories I think is watching the, Jesus battle the devil in the wilderness. And the devil comes with all these ideas, and he's recreating Israel's struggles in the wilderness, but comes with all these lies, and Jesus responds with Scripture. You know, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, do not put the Lord to your test, to the test. All these things, so similar kind of thing where, not today, Satan, I'm not going to let you win, I'm not going to let you live, I'm not going to let you uh, speak lies into my life. Now, the hard part is, Jesus was immersed in Scripture. He went to the synagogue, and he was raised memorizing Scripture. We don't have that. And as a, as a, as a, even believers, how many people really have a kind of Scriptures that they can go to when there's lies that come in your brain uh, to be able to respond uh, to those lies with the truth? That's that's. So there are things that we can do, like reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture, so that we can be ready when it happens, when the anxiety hits. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I think that that's helpful. I, I have some, I think, uh, probably learn a lot as I continue to study this and think about this in ways that, that people have been helped in the past. How about you, Matt? What's on your mind? Hookup culture. Yay. Oh, man. <laughs> so what, what kind of has gotten you thinking about hookup culture and I your concern? I don't remember. Okay. But it popped into my head and I was like, huh. 
So uh, I told you guys this yesterday, but I uh, I went on to YouTube and I typed in I typed in like how many or when when how many people can you sleep with or like how many partners is like too many partners something like that. That's not a safe search right there, by the way. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So what was the answer? <laughs> yeah. So so I watched several videos. Um, there were a couple like real real progressive new agey type people and there was one young lady that said oh the number is not really important but what's important is that you ask them about the experience and what is the what is the philosophy and the beliefs behind and do you think it's okay and and why do you do that so whether it's two or 200 it doesn't matter and then the comments section was a bunch of guys that are like for sure it does matter this is a huge issue yeah then I watched another another girl who, yeah, basically said the same thing. Like, you shouldn't judge, but 50 is too many. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I watched uh, this guy, and I watched two of his videos, and he was saying that there's this research out there that uh, he... he uh, he had a very, um, very interesting perspective. He's, there's this research out there that after a woman has been with t- 10, th- five, there's like a range or something. After been with 10 people, like they're, the, the probability that they'll be able to be in a long-term relationship um, goes way down. And it's because the chemicals that get released in, in people's brains when they sleep together. Hmm. And it, it really makes them pretty much unable to sustain a long term romantic relationship with one person and and i was like okay i agree with that i'm guessing um and so he was and then he just goes on he's like so if you're talking to a girl and you ask her how many people she's been with uh you just multiply that number by three she's not going to tell you the truth um i've heard that too (laughs) and um and what was and there was another i watched another guy he kind of said the same thing and um, neither of these people acknowledged the fact because they're 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 talking to an audience of mostly men, mm-hmm. and they're giving them advice. Basically, hey, if you're looking to meet someone for a long term relationship to marry, yeah, be very wary of people that have slept with too many men, women who have slept with too many men. But they never really like connected the dots and been like, the women slept with guys like us yeah and the one guy at the end of his video he's like yeah sign up for my course and i'll teach you how to approach and close with women nines and tens hotties all over and i was like wait what this is an ad so yeah i there but there was there was like you got to be careful of women that sleep around too much and i was like that's probably right, decent right. advice but there was never acknowledgement that like what about the men who sleep you might so be part of the issue if you're yeah. the ones that are doing all the sleeping yeah. yeah um the whole experience made me feel very gross it made me hate people more than i already do <laughs> and i was just like man this is such crap yeah I, it's really i think it's really uh sad because on the one hand there's a me too movement that we see sexual abuse and you know, looking at people as just objects to fulfill whatever, gratify our own desires or, or use people. And then it's celebrated in, in, in sitcoms. We were talking a little bit about this yesterday too, you know, the whole 
a TV show, uh, Two and a Half Men with Charlie Sheen. Gross. You know, yeah, it was really bad. Um, but the whole premise was that he could, you know, it's funny. I'm going to sleep around with as many women as I can. And then, uh, then he did that in his real life and then he, you know, it destroyed him. So I, I really think, I think the hard part too is our whole society is structured in a way that, that, all right, you're reaching 18 where you're just packed full of hormones and yet people are putting off marriage till they're 35, 30 years old. And so you have this whole period where, you know, years ago, people were getting married very young and you didn't move out of the house until you were married. And now there's just that there's a lot of the the, the ability to live on your own uh, for long, for decades. And there, there, there's not really, uh, it's not part of our culture, you know, to, to get married. And, and so Paul responds says there was some, it's, this, it's nothing new. This is the same culture that was in ancient Greece uh, you you know you just read some some ancient Greek and there that's the same thing going on and so Paul had to address this and he said you know it's better to marry than to burn with passion and um, if you're if you if that if your gift is self control and you don't have these burning desires then yeah it's he says it's even better if you can be single because um, then you can just be totally devoted to the Lord but if you can't um, there's a really good gift that God has given us, and that's marriage. So, um, yeah, so it's just really sad because I don't think this is uh, making, I don't think anybody, there's still a walk of shame, right? There's still, this isn't making, no guy or girl is actually feeling good about this kind of culture, but we're feeding it and confusing a lot of people, and it's really it's really too bad. Why, why do you think that we do that? Why do you think that we refuse to show any consequences for it? in like TV shows or, or, or movies or anything like that? I think there used to be, you know, there was sex education in, in, in public school. I grew up in uh, fifth and sixth grade. We were already kind of getting, you know, taught about consequences, but I, I don't know. I don't, I think that's just, it's part of the culture. Um, we just really talk a lot about independence and um, and to be really happiness and my own pleasure is the highest goal. And who are you to tell me? Uh, and I think we've, because of technology, you know, we've kind of, with um, all of <laughs> that's made it gone. worse. Yeah. So I, so there's a I lot mean, of things. I mean, I think now you can separate sex from children, sex from having children because of all the contraceptives and all those different things. So now uh, having sex doesn't necessarily mean equal, doesn't equal children. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily equal uh, being in a family. Um, and so we've just divided these things and, ch- and chopped these things up. And so there is this idea that casual sex is, is, is no fault, no hurt. But you're right. There are these things, these chemicals that are released. There's, there's so many other things that, are, that go along with it. Um, Kind of, but but back to maybe how we talked about Roe v. Wade, um, we have to be very careful because there's probably somebody listening thinking, I've been caught up in this culture. I've been part of this culture. I thought this was what I was supposed to do, and I feel awful um, that as a pastor, I wanted to counsel and 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 connect and, and say, uh, this sin is forgiven too. Now let's find a better way to live. 
as well because I, yeah well i think you get desensitized right like the more mm-hmm. it happens yeah. like the less you know the more callous you become toward right. it right. and um it's it's alarming to me that there are people who are just willing to engage in you know casual sex and not have any like feeling about it right. like do you not feel weird because i think i think honestly that's one of the the drawbacks to you know having casual sex is like this just this feeling like you're you're devaluing yourself you're devaluing the person that you're with um and then you know there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of hurt feelings that go on yeah i think you know oh, yeah. well i you know i put myself out there and right. he didn't call me back right or you know he you know like there's just it's really it's not and the intense pressure i think on i think the pressure is predominantly on the woman, you know, like, well, who, who are, wh- you know, why won't you just get along with this? And, and, uh, yeah, then all the guilt and the shame that goes along with it. But, but pressure on the guy too, because it's more of a, it's kind of a status thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's, there's a really great, uh, marriage teaching. I, I think it's great. It, it's, I think it came out early 2000s. Uh, you can look it up online. Mark Gungor's Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And he's a pastor out of Appleton, and he's got this really great teaching on inside of a marriage, this gift is so important. Um, inside of a marriage, uh, usually the, the man has got this much larger you know, sex drive, and and the woman has this drive to connect with her husband, and he's got this. He does. He's he's funny, but he talks about how uh, this is really important to keep them connected. And he says, you know, men, if you want to get to the happy place, you got to go through the heart. And women, if you want to reach his heart, you go through the happy place. And it's actually this thing of like, Cyclical, yeah. yeah, it's like it actually, um, it's a reminder to the guy: be nice to the girl. Uh, it's a it's something you know, be nice to her. I'm I, I need to take care of her and be a he's got this whole thing you got to watch the videos it's great but then outside of marriage you have no commitment there you have you that all breaks down the guy doesn't have to put any work he gets what he wants yeah he doesn't have to he doesn't have to to make sacrifices he doesn't have to put the put his wife first or girlfriend first uh there's no work involved and and then all of a sudden there's a child there and runs away, you know? So it just, it breaks down something that God designed to actually bring people together. And and the most fascinating thing to me is I think everyone knows that, you know, cause I, I just, in watching videos or, or hearing people talk about it, um, nobody is, is, you know, if someone says that they've slept with like a hundred people, people are going to raise an eyebrow, yeah. right? And it might be like, Oh, like, oh, good for you. Or like, oh, that's kind of a lot. But no one, it's not the same. It's not the same as the number one or two or zero. It's like, that's a lot. That's worth thinking about, you know. They do know and they feel weird about it. I'll give you an example. Someone I know uh, was um, talking about, and I'm I'm not telling that story, but um, (laughs) (laughs) you know what story I'm talking about. Um, Someone I know, was commenting about how um, a girl that he had been with was, you know, a slut basically because the first night that they met, they went home together. And I said, what does that make you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what does that make you honestly? Like, think about this. 
And it was funny because this person did not waited for some other person in our group to leave the group before saying it. So it, there was obviously like shame involved yeah. in telling mm-hmm. the story. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're out of order, you know, and there's a reason for it. Like, you know, yeah. it's that in that conscience, you know, but you, you the fact a person even brought it up without thinking through. I'm trying like, like, OK, I'm trying to get people to be on my side here. It's yeah. the dance I'm doing with this whole dialogue, not thinking through. Because it because it was instinctive, hmm. it was instinctive. That person is doing something wrong, mm-hmm. but didn't stop to think the inverse. Hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, it's just really really sad. And I again, I think there's so much pressure. It's so normalized. It you know, but without the consequences. You know, I think for the for for me it was you watch the date myself you watch friends or, or or seinfeld these sitcoms it was always this funny joke that we're all sleeping around we're all and there is no consequences but then you actually live that out in, in real life and and mm-hmm. um i think to quote the great theologian if you like it you can put a ring on it beyonce beyonce right? <laughs> i think i i think that, the, that <laughs> yes. that's not a mike mark, mark gunkor thing that like women you have an incredible amount of power saying okay yeah, work for it. But but the problem is is that I think many women are feel like the pressure because there's just not a lot of guys out there who are going to put in the work. And so, all right, this is what I just I, I got to kind of give I yeah. kind of got to give into this if I want a family or if, or you know and and so it's it's just I don't know how to deal with the structural things that you go you go to a public university and there's co-ed dorms now you're away from home like there's no there's no there's no resistance culturally to actually think through this and so if you just kind of walk along with the culture of course you're going to get caught up in hookup culture um so i i i i guess that's why just continuing to have a, a church to go to and to have christian people around you who are encouraging you and then to keep praying for if the, if your desire is to have a, a, a be married to keep praying for god to to open up doors for a spouse. And then if anybody who is listening has this enormous amount of guilt and shame because you just walked into this culture, there's forgiveness for that too. I mean, John chapter four, when Jesus went to the woman uh, at the well who had had five marriages and she was living with her current man, you know, Jesus went right to her and he, and he forgave her and spoke to her and raised her up and then told her, now let's live a different life. So there is forgiveness. For the and guilt I think and it's, the shame. it's probably once you're kind of into it, like I said, you just, it's maybe hard to get out of yeah. too, mm-hmm. like, because you're just, again, you, the, every time probably it happens, you get a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah. And I think with things, you know, like all the dating apps and whatnot, um, you know, gone are the days, you know, back in our day, yeah. Ben, you know, like we would actually have to go places to meet people kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas now people can kind of sit at home you know, they can, uh, meet people, go on Tinder, meet people, have discussions, get their rocks off right at home without having to do anything, you know, meeting people from the comfort of your own home, linking up with them, maybe, maybe, or maybe not like, it's just, it's just, so everything is just kind of conducive to that and being in your, I don't know, it just lends itself to it. Yeah. Cause there was, you know, in the past you did have family and friends and a community that said, I don't know if that person's right for you. You know, you had that kind of, that whole accountability. And then if you, you, I mean, I still remember, you know, like if you were living together outside of marriage or sleeping around, you know, like people would just, 
hey, that's not what God's word says. You'd have a community of people around you who were encouraging you. And and I think that, yeah, the individualism, the, the really the cultural accepting it through a lot of media and things like that, where, man, you're just kind of helpless out there. Uh, yeah. There's... I just think it's I think it's gross to be hooking up with that many people. It is gross. Yeah. Like think about it. Like every person. Like think about this. Like we are people. We carry disease. We can. No, I mean think about yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. we. You know, like honestly, and just to be just flippantly yeah. doing this. I mean, it's gross. But I, I do. There's probably a whole big story behind it, right? Is how much shame is in somebody's life where they think, "Well, this is all I have to offer." Right. You know, this is uh, or filling a hole that they're yeah, and no one's yeah. no, no one. And then you have, you know, I think guys who are more of a perpetrator kind of. This is a fun game to play, and then and then many women who think, you know, well, this is all I have to offer. That they, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm nothing without this, and so it is really sad. Um, the hard part is, again, how do you actually serve these people? How do you actually help them? Because there's so much shame connected with it. Um, and it, and now it is, you know, from what I understand, it's you hook up first and then you might talk. Right. And then dinner. And then right? dinner. And then, and then <laughs> all those this kinds of things. Yeah. And so how do you even minister to these people? How do you help? How do you, how do you think? And then, and then how do you find a good guy? How do you find a good gal? How do you even, um, how do you even have that conversation? You don't. Yeah. <laughs> My plan is to move down by the river and live with the fish. No, <laughs> no, it's gonna happen. No, I mean you. This is your age range. You know how do you how, how do you minister and help and kind of because there is so much pressure. It's just if you just went along with society, right? Wouldn't you kind of wind up here? Well, maybe. I mean, I I think I have friends, and that's just not what we do. Yeah. Um. And. I really have not actually personally felt much of that pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's because I have not spent a lot of time in locker rooms. Yeah. Thank the <laughs> Lord. Um, but I don't know. To me, to me, it's kind of like I, I've, I've worked with people and I've just heard yeah. the stories of yeah. they, you know, went away, got a hotel room, woke up the next morning and then he dumped you. And that was, that was your first and last date. And well, you didn't see that coming. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't, I can't can't even think about like what to say to that person. Like part of me just wants to be like, well, duh, (laughs) you know? And the pastor in me wants to say, all right, let's, yeah, let's go to scripture. Let's, let's repent. Let's move forward. Let's find a better way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, really sad. Really mm. sad. So, so wait. Are, so, is hookup culture bad? <laughs> Question. Oh, uh, this, <laughs> this is yeah. This is. It's really sad. It's really sad. I, I don't know. Besides teaching and encouraging, I I hope that you know, like conversations like this, uh, people realize like talk to your pastor, talk to a Christian that that cares about you, help. Because you probably get into the habit and you don't even know how to stop it now. And uh, and and be careful because you'll have a whole slew of Christians that don't know you that will just probably judge you. Right. And right. Will not be helpful. And listen, there are some Christians doing this stuff too, and there oh, are yes. some there are some non Christians yeah. who are, you know, very controlled and very you know conscious exactly. of these types of things. Yeah. So right. you can't just say all Christian. Yeah, you know, all Christian no. people are, you know, keeping it together here, and all no. non Christians are running around. 
unfortunately, you know, like the statistics are, it's the same in the Christian churches outside sure in is. many ways. You know, I, I, I don't think this is, that's not what I meant by that. Is, I but know. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I think that, that we, we have to find a way. We, the Christian church has been so, we have not been distinctive on, on so many of these issues. You know, pornography rates and, and addictions and all those things are just the same, basically, uh, inside and outside the church. So mm-hmm. how can we continue to be different? I do think that we do have access to the Holy Spirit. We do, we can repent, we can change. We don't have to be that way. Um, but we also need to talk about it. Uh, I know I know somebody who was caught up in a pornography addiction and, and he was he's a pastor. And he's pretty public about it, so I'm not speaking on a turn. And he tried everything he could he he did spiritual disciplines. He memorized scripture. He went to uh, extra church services, but he did all of it by himself. And he finally says, "What broke it is I told somebody. I said I confessed it to somebody else." And James talks about that: confess your sins to one another. And so I think if you're really caught up in this and you don't know a way out, uh, you got to talk to somebody who you trust and who can compassionately help you find a better way. Yeah. I think to tie it in with the previous topic, yeah, um, finding a, a, an identity somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you will find your worth there as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be careful to try to, you know, say people actually want to be in this hookup culture. Maybe they did at one time, but after you're in it for a while, you got to feel there's there's a lot of shame there. You don't have an identity. You don't know your value and worth. And so, yeah, yeah, you have to. Remember who you actually are. You're forgiven, love child of God, and you don't have to keep going on this road. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.